Good morning, everyone. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate those who have uh, uh, joined us uh, online. Um, this morning, uh, we'll continue our study in our, our book, uh, Greatest Questions of the New Testament. The, the lesson this morning is uh, lesson number four, and I don't know if you have a copy of the book or not, but it's on page 27. And the focus of the lesson is Matthew eighteen twenty one, which is, How oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? This was a question that Peter was asking our Lord. And we'll get to it just in a second, but this morning as I came in and I picked up one of our bulletins, uh, I don't know if you've looked at it yet or not, there's a couple of like really good little articles on the second page in there. And uh, for the benefit of those who are not here who are listening online, I want to read one of them because I just thought it fell right in line. I, I don't know who selects these articles for our bulletin, but whoever did, you did a, you did a very good job this morning. It's the one uh, written by Doug Wells. It's on the kind of the left-hand side of the page. Be reconciled to your brother. Let me just read that real quickly. Too many people think going to church cancels out any wrongdoing in their lives. Too many think putting something in the collection plate means the rest of their lifestyle is okay. However, Jesus has has something to say about that. Quote, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And that's Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24. I'm quite sure God wants you in church. I'm equally sure that God wants you to make things right with anyone you have wronged. So go and be reconciled to your brother and then come visit us at church. So I want to come back to that. I thought that thought was very good, uh, very much in line with uh, some of the things that I want to talk about today. And I wanted to read that for the benefit of those that are uh, uh, listening online. So... um, this morning, our, our general topic this morning is just simply forgiving one another. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I uh, taught Wednesday night. We, we had a, we had a um, lesson on Wednesday night about unity. I made comments on Wednesday night that how can you have one or the other? How can you be unified and not forgive your brother? How can you not forgive your brother and be unified? And so they kind of just fall in lockstep with one another. And, you know, we talked about a good many things um, Wednesday night and kind of picked back up on one thing, and that is I think you would all agree with me that uh, there are a lot of social ills in our country. And, and we've talked about that. We've made comment to that when we've come across certain scripture. Uh, I could expand on it, and we could have a long discussion. We could go around the room, and, you know, we would have a lot of, lot of comments one person might think this, this social ill is worse than the other, uh, and, and there may even be some, some bit of disagreement in that. But one that kind of stands out to me is this, and I said this Wednesday night in a, maybe a slightly different way. That is, our culture here in the United States at least, and I, I might say even further worldwide, uh, has turned very cold-hearted and very conflicted, and forgiveness is just a very, very rare thing that, that we bump across in our culture. 
And you look at our, our leaders, our political leaders, the media people, they don't want to talk about forgiving one another. And, and to the contrary, instead they want to cast this group against that group and, and, and create hate and dissension and, and um, it, maybe even fear and, and exploit that. And it, and it just kind of grows all out of that conflict that I'm speaking of. The country's not unified. And, uh, and, and so if we, if we stop right there and ask ourselves this question, who would be the one who wants us to be ununified? Who wants us to be ununified? Satan. Satan. There's the root. There's the basis of the whole thing. And, and I don't see how love and disunity can coexist and and then consequently forgiveness is not possible with when our, when our hearts are in such a state as as we're talking about and i guarantee you satan would like nothing less than than for every one of us to hate each other and he's doing a pretty good job isn't he in, in not just in the united states and you know worldwide um, so how can we have a spirit of forgiveness and not be unified with each other. I said that in maybe a slightly different way a moment ago. How can we be opposed to one group or the other and, and not be on, on common ground and still be forgiving of someone? I'm not saying we can't disagree. I'm just talking about our hearts, our, you know, our state of our hearts. I think what we're witnessing is a, a culture in the media, in our political leaders and other leaders, all they want to do is accuse and punish people. Um, rather than doing what we're talking about this morning, being tenderhearted and being loving and reaching out that hand of reconciliation and, and trying to find that common ground. They're not interested in that. So it falls back to the church. It falls back to our responsibility. We've got to make sure that we don't fall into that and we're, we're not part of that. We've got to be very careful to not allow what I'm speaking of that's out in the world to creep in the church. And that starts with having, as I've already said, a loving heart and a spirit that, that's willing to forgive someone who... who in some sort of way, may have offended you. And if, if you love that person as God has commanded us, as Christ has commanded us to do, then we ought to be able to forgive them. And, and, if, and, and when we speak of forgiving them, what we mean is the record is wiped clean. We don't hold those feelings in reserve uh, to later be called back up and reused. The commandment is to forgive. And then that, that consequently means that we are to forget whatever that offense uh, might be. So our lesson this morning is based on Matthew 18.21. And, and certainly if we've ever needed a lesson in the country... And maybe even not just one lesson, but to really you know, contemplate it for a long time, it, it would be this one. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Brother Brownlow in his book, 
defines forgiveness. He says, Forgiveness is an attitude of heart which restores the offender to the former state and affections of the offended one. So what does that mean to us? That means that, that to forgive, just like Brother Brownlow says, is to bury it. Uh, bury the matter. Treat it like it's never happened, like it, it never was committed. It, it's, and he, he has several quotes in there, one of them in particular, the first one. Forgiveness is man's deepest need and highest achievement. And if you stop and you know, think about your own self and your experiences, uh, you find that you know, if you really think about it, it really hurts your feelings, doesn't it, when someone uh, rejects you, is not willing to forgive you. It hurts, doesn't it? Now, some of us might want to be tough and say it doesn't, but it is one of our deepest needs to have that, that forgiveness. Um, another comment he made in here that I want to share with you in case you don't have a copy of this book. A kind of delayed judgment which holds the offender on probation is not forgiveness. And that, that falls you know, back to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be touching on that chapter, the, the, the love chapter as we sometimes call it. So that falls right in line with, with, uh, with that. You know, a lot of people will say that they forgive someone, but they really haven't forgotten what the offense may have been, and they hold that. Like I said, they file that back for, for later use or for calling up later on. Jesus told us in Luke 17, we're to forgive a brother if he re- repents. But what if he does not repent? You know, we, we still have to manifest a, a, a loving and a, a kind and tender-hearted feeling toward, toward that person. We don't take vengeance on that person. Now, I want to read uh, a few um, scriptures real quickly. Uh, we're, we're not going to get through all the material I've got, but we'll do the best we can. Matthew twelve thirty four through 35 Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So when we're in the situation where someone may have offended us and, and uh, 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 forgiveness, we, we, want our, our, we want that person to... We want to forgive that person. We need to keep this, this particular passage in line. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And then the opposite. Evil comes out of evil treasure. Luke 6, 45. Luke six forty five. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. In other words, you can't really completely hide what's in your heart. Because it, it, you know, what's in your heart is reflected by, by how you communicate. 2 Peter 2.14 Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, 
They have a heart trained in covetous practices in our accursed children. And I wanted to share that last one in particular uh, to, to kind of develop a, a line of thought that I, I had as I was preparing for this lesson. I don't have to tell you, God created us, didn't He? We all know that. Everybody in this room knows that. And we look at our science today, uh, particularly in the medical field, and we're just as mar- it's a marvel. When, you know, the things that we learn about our human bodies and the intricacies and the precision that now our science, you know, demonstrates. God created that. That came from the mind of God. But you know some you got another part in you. We're talking about the physical body. There's another part in you that God created. That's your mind, your heart. And since He knows, since He created it, He knows how it works. Some of us don't understand how it works. The emotions that we feel, the logic that we're able to process, the part of us that reasons things and sense things, that's a marvelous creation in and of itself. And, and God knows how that works because He made us both physically and mentally, and He gave us a free will. And He directs us to do certain things. And I want you to keep this in context as, as I'm saying this. Study to show thyself approved. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why did He tell us that? Because He knows how our minds work. Back to 2 Peter 2.14. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Proverbs 3, verses 6-7. through In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God created us. He knows how our hearts and our minds work but He still gives us a free will of how we're going to use it. And I want to say to you, I believe and I maintain that God knows we need to, to constantly feed our minds and our hearts. We need to do that. We need, what, what, what do we feed our minds and our hearts with? With His Word. That's why we just over and over again and we read in Scripture... You've got to study God's Word. You can't not study God's Word. You've got to. You're feeding your heart. You're feeding your mind. You're training your heart. As opposed to turning on the TV to one of these so-called news networks and listening to the garbage that's on there. Spite, hate, getting caught up in everything that's going on, all the controversy, all the contentions, you're feeding your heart when you do that. We need to spend a lifetime of feeding our hearts with God's Word. Who we are, what we say, what we do, 
is based on what's in our hearts. And since we know God will forgive us, we know that, don't we? We would know that in our hearts, we would know that. And that ought to lead us to forgive others. Here's the problem. Satan knows this too. He knows what we feed our minds and our hearts determines who we are and what we are. So, so does he want any part of God's Word being fed into our hearts? Absolutely not. Does he want us to understand what righteousness is and does he want us to, to strive to be righteous? If you were Satan, what would you want man to do? Would you want men to hate each other? Would, would you try to do what you could to divide and disunify everybody and cause these contentions and these strives and hate? If you were Satan, would you want to pit this group against that group and, and demand reparations from that part or that another part? Rich against poor, one political ideology against the other, white against black, this race against that race, this country against that country, and it just goes, it goes on and on. Kind of sound a little familiar, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what's going on. If we're divided and we think someone owes us, are we thinking about having a forgiving spirit? If we hate each other, are we going to forgive each other? You just like again, look, what, look what's going on around us. The country is tearing itself apart because of hatred. We need to love each other, love for each other. We need forgiveness from God, but we also need forgiveness, you know, from each other. You know, again, we live in a in a world of sin and wickedness, and we're weak and we're sinful ourselves. We sin against God. We also sin against other people. We sin against ourselves. We need God's forgiveness, but but we, we need to know the terms of forgiveness. We cannot be saved without the forgiveness of God. And we cannot live in happiness with each other without learning to forgive each other. And so, the lesson this morning, and again, there's so much we could talk about, but time will limit us. The emphasis of the lesson is placed on our duty to forgive. It isn't, it isn't something that's just a haphazard choice we're going to make. We have a duty to do this. God directs us to do this. We ought to know what it is to forgive. We ought to know how to forgive people. We need to understand how to obtain God's forgiveness. And then we set the example of forgiveness. And so, in, in our... The scripture that, that we started out with, Matthew eighteen twenty one. how often should we forgive? Well, the, the context of that is Jesus had been teaching his disciples and others that, that we needed to, or that they needed to exercise patience. The rabbis taught that the offender should go to the man who had wronged, confess his faults, and ask 
for forgiveness. That's what the rabbis taught. Jesus, on the other hand, commanded that the wronged man should take the initiative in seeking peace and reconciliation. And then Peter, here's Peter, impulsive Peter, jumps, jumps the gun a little bit there. He's astonished at what Jesus said, that Jesus would go so far and require that the man that, who had been wronged to take the first step. That's not what, <laughs> that's not what we see, do we? We're, waiting, we're sitting back waiting on that guy that hurt our feelings to come seek forgiveness. Whereas the Lord is teaching us where to take the first step. So Peter asked that question, Lord, how often shall my, my brother sin, sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And, you know, the number seven is a special number meaning several things, but generally meaning perfection. And, and if, I, I guess Peter was thinking that maybe seven times would be a very liberal offer uh, since, since the rabbis were only requiring it three times. Three is, three is a number that applies to heaven and spiritual things in Scripture. There's, there's several numbers that mean things in Scripture. Four, four is the number that applies to the world. Seven is the number that is the ideal of completion, the union of, of heaven and earth, perfection. So we see what Peter meant when he asked if he should forgive someone seven times. That, that, was a, that number represented something. It wasn't just an arbitrary number. And then in verse 22 of Matthew 18, Jesus answers. Jesus may have even been a little astonished with Peter and other disciples and um, them asking the question. Uh, and Peter, on the other hand, might have been a little astonished on the answer that the Lord gave him. If they were maybe surprised a little bit at Peter's number seven, how much more they would be astonished when Jesus said, I do not say to you, in verse 22, up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So um, most people agree, most folks that you read that have written about this, uh, think it, it's a figurative number. It's not an exact number. If you did the math, uh, it, 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 if you multiplied 70 times seven, that would be 490. So it'd be 490 times. Uh, some some interpret it to mean seventy plus seven, so it'd be seventy-seven times. So so you know you you read those two different numbers, but that's not I, I believe what the, the Lord's teaching. He's teaching that it's a, it's a general representative number to mean indefinitely. You forgive indefinitely. It's not a literal interpretation of the number. We don't go forgiving. 490 times and we'll get to 491 and not forgive. You know, wait to pounce on that person once we get to that, to that magic number. So, the point being, forgiveness is not to be reckoned according to some number, but by our hearts. 
by our spirit. Um, Certainly forgiveness is to be extended as often as repentance is exercised. Uh, Repentance is to be numbered maybe by the number of times that we sin in general. You know, we need to seek repentance for all our sins. So they kind of coincide with another. But forgiveness is not a matter of bookkeeping. Repentance is a matter of love. Or forgiveness is a matter of love, of repentance and love. So I believe Peter probably got the lesson, you know. And so we ask our question, it, it, can, can we forgive before one repents? God does not forgive one until they repent. But God does everything He can by His instruction and His goodness to lead people to repent. And what happens to them if they will not repent? They'll perish. God exercises His goodness to lead people to, to repentance, just as God does all that He can by His goodness to bring people to repentance that He may forgive them, we must also do that, that we, all that we can to, to bring the offender to repentance so that we may forgive. And so in the following verses in Matthew 18... Can y'all can y'all relaunch that? I got in the wrong, I got I must have gone the wrong way. Back let's see, yeah, there you go. Well, uh, just I must have them out of go back to uh, the unmerciful servant. There you go. Yeah, then just stay there. Yeah. So uh, verses twenty three through thirty three is a parable. And he, Christ is using the parable just like we were talking last Sunday about parables to teach a lesson on forgiveness. Uh, the unforgiveness on man's part will have an impact on him. There is a consequence when we do not forgive. And this, this parable teaches us. It's a story. There's a servant who owed the king 10,000 talents, which if you know, according to some math that's done is somewhere in the range of $12 million, depending on, you know, what a person thinks a talent is. And so then the forgiven servant went out and he finds someone who owes him a hundred pence or about one millionth part of the debt that he owed the king. Just an infinitesimal amount in comparison and he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat and he demanded to be paid. And then when the, when the fellow servant wasn't able to pay, then he cast him into prison 
And, and when the king heard about it, he rescinded the favor that he had given the first guy and uh, delivered him to his tormentors till he should pay. And the moral of the story is this. Christ said it in these words, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So, uh, the monetary term, like I said, around $20 million versus just one small fraction of that. Uh, Right. So, kind of moving forward, we're kind of squeezed on time a little bit. Uh, Verses 34 through 35 of Matthew 18 uh, talk about the punishment. Forgiveness coming from the heart. And that's, of course, what we've been been talking about here. Um, The punishment that this that this person received was fearful. He was delivered to the torturers, and these were barbaric things. Uh, they were they were meant to punish the person, but also force the person to give up any kind of secret money that they may have uh, hidden away. It was unmerciful. It was a scourging. Some people were dragged by horses. They pulled their teeth out. They slit their ears and noses. It was just very cruel treatment that these people would receive. So this was a very fearful thing that this, this person was, was about to encounter. Um, and the key point, too, being it was an impossible task for this, this officer who had been forgiven to pay what he owed in lifelong imprisonment, how's he going to? How's he going to have a means, you know, to pay that back? Um, but he had sent a fellow servant to prison because he could pay such a, you know, he couldn't pay such a smaller debt. Um, so, what's the conclusion to the, what the Lord says? There is, there is not true forgiveness except that which is from the heart. When one repents of sin and he asks forgiveness, we should in turn forgive with cheerfulness. And we ought to rejoice to that. We ought to rejoice that one has repented so that he can receive forgiveness. Um, We actually are cruel when we refuse to extend forgiveness. And if we do not forgive others, then we, we need not expect God to forgive us. Not forgiving, you know, or no unforgiving heart can have fellowship with a forgiving God. So we got just a few minutes here. I want to make a couple of few points before we, before we run out of time. Forgiveness is man's greatest need, and, and yet it's also his highest achievement. Uh, I think we ought to rejoice, a man ought to rejoice when, when he receives forgiveness and a, a man should cheerfully extend forgiveness. There's a, an, an old saying that says, to return evil for good is devil, devilish, 
to return good for good is human, but to return good for evil is godlike. We forgive and forget. We forget in the sense of, of not holding any grievances against anyone. I know sometimes there are circumstances it's hard to, to not see the consequences of what someone may have done. But the point is, is what do we feel in our hearts? We don't, we don't hold any grievances toward that person. When God forgives, He holds us as if we had never sinned against Him. So what does that mean? That means that we're to do the same. We, too, must also hold people who sin against us in that very same way, in that very same manner. And there's, there's several scriptures we could go to. I just listed about four of them there. Uh, Luke 23, 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Their Christ is hanging on the cross, asking forgiveness for those who are doing it to Him. Colossians 3.13 Paul wrote to the Colossians Forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye. And then Matthew 7.12 is of course what we what we often call the golden rule. God um, we, we must we want those um, who sin against against us. To, we want those we sin against to be forgiving, and and then and, and and likewise, we should forgive those who sin against us. It's a poor rule that that does not work both ways. It works both ways. One thing that Brother Brownlow said is this. Love calls for it. It's easy for love to be forgiving because in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffereth long and is kind. Loveth, and then 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers, covereth a multitude of sin. 1 Corinthians 13 came to mind as soon as I started studying this lesson. and uh, it, it, It's the love chapter. And that's a, you know, a series of studies and lessons in and of itself. But one thing that, that comes out of, of 1 Corinthians 13 is that we don't take account. We don't keep record. And how, how can you hold offense against someone if you're not doing that? You're not loving if, if, if you do that. He says this, Brother Brownlow, forgiveness is a big thing. He says that in his book. It demands bigness, bigness of heart and a bigness that is akin to divinity. To err is human, to forgive is divine. That's a way of saying some of the things that I've said. Forgiveness is a big thing. It demands bigness of heart. It, that, that goes back to 
saying something I've already said and that it all falls from our heart, it all comes from our heart. We're, you know, we take several steps back. It's what we feed our hearts. And we spend a lifetime feeding our hearts. Here's another comment that he made, and we're just about out of time, so I'm going to try to bring this to, to a conclusion. Forgiveness is too big for little people. Forgiveness is too big for little people. And he made this comment. That is why our congregations are filled with members who are at outs with others. We shouldn't come into this building to worship on the Lord's Day with our brothers and sisters with any, any, any negative, resentful feelings toward them. We're not loving them if we do. We're not obeying God if that be the case. And we need forgiveness at that point. We don't hold grudges. We don't have ill will. Um, And he's putting it in terms of being a big person versus a little person. And I think that's a good, good thought, good line of thought. Another comment. Forgiveness demands forbearance. Forgiveness demands forbearance. And Brother Brownlow's comment is, the two go together, and he uses Colossians 3.13, forgiving one another and forgiving one another. And he tells the story about Napoleon, in case you don't have a copy of this book, let me finish up with this. A mother sought Napoleon's pardon of her son. The emperor said that it was the boy's second offense, and justice demanded death. The mother replied, I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy. The emperor responded, but he does not deserve mercy. The mother cried, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all that I ask for. So, someone may have offended you. Um, Do they need to come ask you to forgive them for you to have love in your heart for that individual. That's the point. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. It's not justice. It's mercy. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you for your attention this morning, and we'll, we'll stop there for the morning.